Today, I'll be unpacking Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. It's the passage that's commonly known as the church discipline passage. Um, Adam and David both not being here for that. I I don't know what you might conclude from that. Um, But uh, it's strictly coincidence. If you've been paying attention over the past uh, several weeks, uh, it just landed this way. So there's nothing nothing meant by that at all. Um, Again, uh, this is the church discipline passage. Um, I'm I'm sure many of you have read it. some of you may have even been involved in or, or been in, involved in implementing church discipline at some level or, or another. I'd like to ask you this morning to put your presuppositions of Matthew 18, 15 to 20 aside and let the passage speak for itself. I personally have limited uh, experience with church discipline uh, process, but I was encouraged in my preparation this week, the clarity that... Uh, that I received from studying the Word, and I hope that when we're done here this morning, you'll, you will have clarity as well. To recap where we've been, in the past several weeks, we've seen the glory and the humility of our Savior on display. We've begun to learn about our, what our Lord thinks of His people, what He refers to as the little ones. We must enter the kingdom as children, and we must dwell in the kingdom as children. We must not reject one another, we must, not take, we must take sin seriously and take radical steps to eradicate it. And finally, last week we learned that there is no despising the little ones, no despising fellow believers. To do this is acting in opposition to what heaven's pattern is and in opposition to what the Father wills. This week, we take the next step in believer relationships. This week, we're going to be dealing with sin between believers. So let's begin by opening our Bibles to Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. Beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to, to even if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that it is to come together and worship you. We desire that this time would be a continuation of the worship that we have already begun. We want to make much of you, O Lord. We want this time to be in your word and for you to be made much of, that you would be glorified, that the lives would be changed by the words that were breathed out by you that you would teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us, that we would be competent and equipped for every good work. We ask these things knowing that they are only possible by your grace. We need your grace in our lives in order to accomplish the great works in us that you would be glorified. I pray, Lord, that the human delivery of your word this morning would not distract from what you have for us, 
and that your word would touch our lives in every aspect. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to recap one more time, just the near context and a little bit more detail. Last week we learned that kingdom people living life means to live life as a child and to remember that you are living life in a kingdom of children. Heaven cares about these little ones, and the Father wills that we care about those little ones. We are not to despise, disdain, scorn, discredit, or mock other believers, either actively or passively, knowing that we can only avoid these things if we have a changed heart through Jesus Christ. Today, as we shift to church discipline, we need to continue to keep these commands in mind because church discipline sets up a circumstance that can be a breeding ground for sinful behavior. The command to not despise little ones needs to continue and needs to be in full force before, during, and after the process of church discipline. Today, if you are taking notes, the main point or the big idea that we have this morning is the authority to confront and restore or confront and remove comes from Jesus as we adhere to the purity of his process. One more time. The authority to confront and restore or confront and remove comes from Jesus as we adhere to the purity of his process. This morning I'm going to break that up into four points. And I was under great pressure to come up with alliteration. You know that our pastors like alliteration, and so uh, that's, this is probably where I spent most of my time in preparation this week was coming up. With, no, I'm just kidding. That, <laughs> it fell together. So here are the four points. Uh, pedigree of authority is point number one. Purity of process. Placement of authority. And finally, potential problems. So it's pedigree of Pedigree of authority, purity of process, placement of authority, and potential problems. I want to begin with authority in order to establish the authority that Jesus gives us as believers and as the church. I've chosen this morning to go about the text in a little bit out of the ordinary way. We're not going to start at 15 and work straight through 18, or straight through 20 rather, but I want to start at verse 18 because 18 establishes the authority of church discipline. And then we'll double back, go to 15, and go all the way through. The reason we're going to start near the end is because that does establish the authority that has been delegated to believers. So point number one is the pedigree of authority. First of all, let's be clear that any authority that we have as believers must be grounded in the Word and is from God. Verses 18 to 20 make some strong statements uh, and lay the groundwork for our authority. And these verses are no doubt familiar to you. There are three phrases that I'm sure are familiar to you. One is binding and loosing. Another is to agree about anything. And finally, where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. Unfortunately, these three verses have a history of misuse and being used out of context. And so, again, I want you to remember as we study God's Word that we need to remember that context is king. These verses are in the near context of church discipline, the near context of brother sinning against brother. These are not uh, verses about prayer. They're not verses about uh, small groups of believers being together. And they're not verses about binding Satan. They're about church discipline. We're going to get into a little bit more detail about that in a moment. So, 
Beginning at verse 18. Let's begin there. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As I read earlier, this verse comes right after Jesus laid the foundation of the process of church discipline. So 15 through 17 is the process. 18 establishes the authority. The concept of binding and loosing is first mentioned in another part of Scripture in Matthew 16. So why don't you flip back a couple of pages and we're going to see what Jesus has already said about binding and loosing. Go to Matthew 16, beginning verse 13. The, uh, the actual verse that refers to binding and loosing is in 19, but uh, turn to Matthew 16, 13, and we're going to read a few verses there. If you keep notes on a regular basis, Adam unpacked these verses um, several weeks ago on, on April 18th. So if you want to make a note to go back and study that, go back and review that, you, you might do that. Don't study it right now, maybe at lunch or later, but uh, for right now we're going to look at uh, Matthew 16, 13. As a quick refresher, the context of 16 is uh, Peter correctly professing who Christ is, the Son of the living God. And, this, and uh, Jesus made it clear that this is revealed to him by the Father in heaven. So, Matthew 16, 13 to 19. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here's, the, here's verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There are three, three points that I want to bring out of that, three important terms that we need to define. The first term is, what are the keys? The secondly is when Jesus says, whatever you bind or loose, what does he mean by whatever? And then thirdly, what does binding and loosing mean? Keys to, keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Scripture just said that. Uh, Jesus just said that. He does not, uh, Peter does not have them in and of himself. He did not come up with them. He didn't make the keys. He was given the keys. And these keys are the gospel. No one enters the kingdom of heaven without the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it says whoever binds and looses, Jesus is, is talking in the context of people, not things. The context of chapter 16 is entering the kingdom of heaven. And that's people entering the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 18, when Jesus is talking about binding and loosing, he's talking about people either being restored or being removed. So the whatever, even though it sounds generic or neutral, is referring to people, not things. The, and, and then binding and loosing. This, this is also needs some clarification. This refers to shutting and opening, respectively. Binding and loosing, shutting and opening access to the kingdom of heaven by the gospel access denied or access allowed to the kingdom of heaven binding is access denied loosing is access allowed the imagery is of keys the keys to the kingdom of heaven the gospel binding shutting access to the kingdom of heaven or 
the, the, the gospel loosing and opening and allowing access to the kingdom of heaven. Let's put that together in a summary. Peter has been given the keys, which are the gospel, to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever persons are bound, shut out on earth, will be bound in heaven. And whatever persons are loosed, allowed in, will be loosed in heaven. One more, one more summary that's a little bit tighter. Rejection of the gospel on earth results in no access to the kingdom of heaven. I think we know that. Acceptance, belief, and trust in the gospel on earth will result in acceptance to the kingdom of heaven. That's what the imagery of binding and loosing is in Matthew 16. This does not mean that we have a special pipeline to heaven. Heaven is not forced to comply with what we do when we spread the gospel. Peter proclaimed what he was given. He had been given the gospel. He had been given information from his Father in heaven. We, at the same time, don't have something that we haven't been given. We've been given the gospel, and we share the gospel. We don't have the authority to modify the keys, use a different key. There's only one key, one key only, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that's important is because that corresponds to Matthew 18 when it comes to the process of church discipline. Synthetic gospels, which are those of our own making, will not result in access to the kingdom of heaven. We bind what has already been bound in heaven, and we loose what has already been loosed in heaven. So, the authority given in Matthew 16:19 directly relates to the authority given in Matthew 18. Since we believers, who are kingdom citizens, bind and loose, shut and open the gate by spreading the gospel, then those who profess Christ professing to be uh, believers that are part of the kingdom of heaven, will also be disciplined by that same authority, disciplined by the church body of believers. After all, who else would it be? God uses means to an end. He uses us as means to his end of the gospel being spread. He will also use us as his means to, an end, to the end of dealing with sin within the context of the church. Okay, let's turn back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, and we're going to continue on at verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So with the above background that I just mentioned, the binding and loosing in the context of Matthew 16, which is the kingdom of heaven, with that as our backdrop, the next point is to point to the process of church discipline. In the context of Matthew 18, church discipline relates to the removal and restoration, respectively. Binding and loosing, removal, and rest or restoration. Some, some will be removed, some will be restored. Binding and loosing. Removal of professing believers from the church, which is binding, is found in verse 17b or restoration of believers, loosing, is found in verse 15b. Let's go to point number two, which is purity of process. I want to take you back up to verse 15, and we're going to work through the process, which I'm sure many of you have read and are familiar with. We'll now stay in Matthew 18 and, and work all the way through the passage. The reason I've called this purity of process is because this process is from our Lord, just as the gospel is from God, this process of church discipline is also from our Lord. 
we don't have the authority to change the process any more than we have the authority to change the gospel. So it's important that we remember that as we go through this. In fact, the authority to bind and loose that's delegated to believers in terms of church discipline is contingent upon us following the process. Is contingent upon us keeping to the perfect process that he's created. If your brother sins against you is how Jesus starts this off. And then he continues through the process to verse 17. These are the commands of our Lord. There's four steps, three that, that, that result in restoration and one that results in removal. Restoration is within verses 15 to 17a and removal is in verse 17b. So the first is what I would call a theme of that first section is confronting for restoration. Verse 15, this is step one of church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The instruction is between you and him alone. That needs to be done privately, kept confidential, just between you and the brother who has sinned against you. It needs, discretion needs to be kept. To go and tell him means to confront him, to convict him of his sin. This is not to pass judgment on him. The purpose is not to, to determine his motives or to accuse him of particular motives or to determine where his heart is, but rather to simply take what the sin is based on the word of God and to bring that before him. If he listens to you, which means if he repents and if he seeks forgiveness, then you have gained your brother. You have won him over. There's redemption between the two of you. Verse 16, which is step two. But if, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if he does not listen, which would mean that if he does not repent, if he does not turn, um, if he does not turn towards restoration, restoration or seek forgiveness, then take one or two along with you. Now these one or two that you take along with you, these are witnesses as, as the verse refers, but these are not necessarily witnesses to the sin that's been committed. It's, it's not always likely that there would be witnesses to a particular sin, but these witnesses rather are to witness the step two process. They're to witness you confronting your brother again and seeing if there is repentance. These witnesses are to see if the offender is repentant or not. If he, re- if he responds to the attempt to restore. The next part of the verse says that every charge may be established. That the charge, which is both the sin committed and the lack of repentance initially, um, would be established. And then finally, evidenced by two or three witnesses. This is a little bit confusing, but if you, if you realize that you began with one person who has sinned against, and then you have one or two witnesses added to that, that equals two or three witnesses. So the original person sinned against plus one or two witnesses is the two or three. Okay, now that's important because that comes back to us at the end of this passage. And then finally, verse 17a, which is the last part of confrontation for restoration, is if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to them, meaning, again, if the offender continues to not repent, not to turn towards restoration, not seek forgiveness, tell it to the church, to bring the matter before the body of believers. And this would be, in our case, this would be our local body of membership. This is necessary as the process is potentially heading towards step four, and uh, this needs to be brought before the body, the local body, 
to give the brother one more last chance to be restored within the, that context, that context of the local body. The body has, needs to have the knowledge of this and will be praying for that brother and will be imploring him to repent and to, to respond to the attempts at restoration. Okay, now we move to step four. This shifts the theme from confrontation to our confrontation for um, restoration to confrontation for removal. 17b, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If after the church involvement, the offending brother still refuses to listen to his brothers for repentance, then he is to be put out or removed. Let him be to you. The you is singular, which means each member of the local body would be involved. That's all of you in here that are members. And that you would be individually involved and responsible for um, removing and treating the brother as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, the, now the Gentile and the tax collector part is not compassionate treatment. The Jewish Christians of the, t- of the day would have understood that to mean, in essence, excommunication. But what this means to us is that we treat him as an unbeliever. When we see him, we apply the gospel as we would any other unbeliever. We don't avoid him or shun him, but we apply the gospel. We continually call him to repentance, to, to seek forgiveness of God and to seek forgiveness of the brother that he has sinned against. All the members of the body would be involved in that. Things cannot go on as with business as usual with that brother. And, and as I said, this would not mean that he would be ignored or shunned or gossiped about or complained about, but rather we would be praying for him. When we see him, we call him to repentance. We apply the gospel just as you would an unbeliever. This step should hurt. The body should all yearn for the repentance of this brother. Seeking restoration will continue, but now it's in the context of this brother being outside the local body. So, to summarize where we are so far, we've seen the pedigree of authority in Matthew 16, the purity of the process of church discipline. We know where binding and loosing come from and the, uh, the context of that. And so next, it's placement of authority. And so we're going to repeat verse 18 one more time. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But before I go on to 19 and 20, there needs to, I need to make a comment again about the context of those two verses. <clears throat> Remember, context is king. Because as soon as I read verse 19 in our minds, and including mine, when I, when I read it as I was preparing, I immediately began to think of a verse that relates to prayer. The following verse, again, as I said earlier, is not within the context of prayer. While prayer must certainly be a part of, of uh, church discipline, and, um, and while prayer must certainly be a part of church discipline, those involved in the church um, need to remember that the context of this is church discipline. So, let's read those two verses. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So I want you to ask yourself a question. Again, I'm going to just really focus on the context of this. In verse 19, where it says, when it talks about agreement, what's the context? 
In verse 19, when it talks about asking the Father in heaven, what's the context? In verse 19, when it mentions something to be done by my Father in heaven, what's the context? And then finally, in verse 20, where it says, two or three to be gathered in Jesus' name, what's the context? Over and over again, the context is church discipline. As believers are involved in matters such as these, the two or three are the offended plus the one or two witnesses that we mentioned earlier. Back, they go back to verse 15 and 16. Agreement is synonymous with binding and loosing. And Jesus is with them because they have, been, they have kept to the pure process of church discipline and they have been given authority as believers to deal with sin. Verses 19 and 20 are a direct result of correctly following the process laid out by Jesus. So we have the pedigree of authority for binding and loosing, the purity of the process for dealing with sin between believers, the placement of authority, but we have problems, don't we? This is the ideal, and yet we are sinners, and I know from personal experience and from talking to some of you about this that church discipline often goes awry. And so that's why this final point is potential problems. There are dangers built in. Jesus has delegated the, this activity to the church to, of church discipline to people who are sinners. So it's helpful to mention danger signs that we need to be aware of and be on the lookout for. I have um, four different potential problems. Potential problem number one is not following the process. Remember, that the authority to bind and loose, remove or restore, comes from Jesus through the adherence to His process. Just as binding and loosing in the context of chapter 16 related to the gospel and the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the authority that we have in church discipline in dealing with sin amongst believers is from Jesus and adherence to the purity of His process. We can't skip steps while steps may be short or long sometimes, depending on the circumstances and depending on how the people respond and the time it takes to be, bring people together. And even there may be times when the brother who has sinned will refuse all contact um, and in essence remove himself from the church. We still need to keep to the process that Jesus has laid out for us. Potential problem number two is pride. The opposite of pride is humility, which must be part of the restoration process from the very beginning. The confrontation must be done in humility, a loving reproof for the purpose of restoration. The goal is restoration. The goal is not removal. One of the outcomes of rehearsing the gospel to yourself that we talk about a lot, uh, those of you who have, have read the gospel primer, we're, we were introduced to the concept of rehearsing the gospel to yourself on a daily basis. And so one of the outcomes of doing that is that it reminds us how we have offended God and how we've been forgiven and how we've not deserved forgiveness or redemption. And so we should approach an offending brother with this in mind, that you and I are not better, we are simply being obedient to God, and that we need to sometimes look at ourselves or every time look at ourselves and see if there needs to be a log removed from our eye before we address the brother. Potential problem number three is rashness. 
which means to act hastily without considering the facts. At whatever step you enter into the process of church discipline, whether that be at the beginning as someone who has sinned against or whether you're one of the two, one of the two witnesses or whether you come in at the tail end uh, within the church body, the process needs to be done carefully and prayerfully, not jumping to conclusions, calmly urging restoration. I thought of 1 Thessalonians 5.14 uh, that relates, I think, well to this. It reads, And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Potential problem number four is lack of love. And I was drawn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in relation to love. It's just such a great reminder. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love, I have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So we need to ask ourselves a question. Do I love this brother? Or do I want restoration? Or do I despise him? And do I just want him out of the church? Jesus calls us to love this brother and desire restoration. I do have one more potential problem, and that's manufacturing sin. Don't manufacture sin. Sin is defined in God's Word. Creating a new list of sins can lead to legalism and self-righteousness that will result in no authority amidst church discipline. I've spoken to some of you specifically about this and have heard you talk about the destruction that you've seen or have been victim of amidst church discipline when sins, when things that are called sin that are really not sin. We need to make sure that we don't make up new sins. But, but on the other hand, we also need to be careful that we don't use our freedom in Christ to cause another to stumble, thereby becoming sin. So with these five potential problems, we need some guardrails to help us with that. And so how do we keep from falling into these danger areas? On the confrontation side, we need to be prayerfully patient, bathed in the Word, bathed in the Gospel, reminded of our position in Christ, that we are the recipient of such grace and of such patience. A a few applications. Here's four applications. That's where I got the four from. Four applications. First of all, obedience. Obey Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. Don't allow past abuses of church discipline or neglect of church discipline dictate how you approach the Scripture. This is from God's Word, and this is the pure process that Jesus has outlined for dealing with sin amongst believers. We are not to ignore or avoid this passage because of the past. Application number two, sin is sin. So we need to stop sugarcoating it and call it for what it is. That means that you, your spouse, your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, immorality, worry, laziness, idolatry, anger, dissension, gossip, and slander, let's call these things for what they are. It's sin. 
Application number three is that we need to begin by obeying the one another's. The New Testament is full of the one another's. We talk about this a lot at Grace Group. If you do a search in your Bible on the term one another, you will find uh, about 30 separate and distinct commands that we are to do to one another. Encourage one another, love one another, serve one another, but also admonish and confess sin to one another. If you're actively doing the one another's, holding each other accountable, then you're already operating on the leading edge of step one in church discipline. And that's a good thing. And then finally, application number four, be ready and willing to stand together as a church. Those of you who are sitting here today that are members, be ready and willing to stand together as a church body someday at step four. Even if it means negative personal consequences to you, this is not just the pastor's job, but rather this belongs to the whole local body. And finally, I want to close with... uh, two verses which should round out the coverage of church discipline. One I have already read. One is in James, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Church discipline, again, has a goal of restoration, bringing back a wanderer. And then again, I want want to repeat 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, which brings clarity to this process, which has often been misused and often neglected resulting in even more sin. I pray that we would be a local body who is dedicated to obedience to your word with confidence and boldness and courage with the full authority that you have delegated to us. As we battle against the flesh, Lord, I pray that we would be humble and careful, loving and patient with all. I ask that the teaching of your word this morning will result in worship of you, sanctification of your little ones, and purification of your church. Glory to you, all by your grace, as we yield to your spirit and strive in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.